That's Mark 9, starting in verse 14. I originally was going to preach this message uh, last week uh, during Father's Day, but of course, you know the Holy Spirit has a great trump card over our plans, and if He wants to change things, uh, we need to get out of the way and let Him have His will and His way, and He did that last service. So um, I will be preaching kind of a Father's Day message, but hopefully I'll be able to hit on a lot of different issues as well as we look at this classic passage in Mark 9. Several years ago, my dad and me and a longtime friend were on an overnight backpacking excursion. At the end of that first day, we had hiked several miles up a mountain and back down. And on our descent down that mountain, me and my buddy were hiking and talking. We weren't really paying that much attention to our surroundings. And then I happened to look down... And I saw the ground move, and I can remember jumping up in fear once I realized that I had almost stepped on a timber rattler that was coiled up in the middle of that hiking trail. And I can tell you he was pretty ticked off that I had messed up his sunbathing that day. Well, Dad was bringing up the cowtail in our caravan that day, and we were waiting for him to catch up. As he approached and he came around the bend, I yelled back on the trail. I said, Dad, I said, watch out. There's a snake on the trail. Now, I need to preface this by saying that my daddy hates snakes. In fact, I can remember him declaring war on many a snake growing up. Uh, he would always say that uh, only good snake is a dead snake. And some of you believe that same theology as well. That's Joe McCarson 316, I guess. We all stood there for a moment, kind of staring at each other. Here we are. We were held hostage by this rattler. And me and my friend was on one side, and Dad was on the other, and nobody really knew what to do. Here was this big old rattlesnake coiled up in the middle of the trail. Then I saw my daddy stepped off into the brush, went off into the forest to find something. He came back with a big old long tree branch. I'm not talking about something that you're going to roast a marshmallow on. I'm talking about 10 foot long tree branch. And I can remember watching Dad stand back and he began to peel that rattlesnake off the ground with that big old long branch. Kind of like you're going to slide a spatula under an egg in the pan. And he picked that old rattlesnake up and heaved it off into the woods. And that thing went helicoptering down to be somebody else's headache later on. And I'll always treasure that story. I thought, man, my dad's got to be one of the bravest men alive to take on a timber rattler. And the reason I tell that story is because it so reminds me of spiritual warfare. We can be going through our lives not really paying attention, nonchalantly going through the motions from one mountaintop to the valley when suddenly our enemy, the serpent of old, slithers onto our path. Amen? And Satan will usually hiss those fangs at us soon after a mountaintop experience. You know what I mean when I say that. We've been to a good church service or we've been on a season of personal revival. We have so-called scaled the mountain with the Lord and He's shown us something beautiful, something awesome about His grace and His glory. You can bet that on the heels of an experience like that, when the Lord is blessing, Satan is going to be blasting. In fact, that's exactly what happened to Jesus and His disciples 
after he took them up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that story. He took Peter, James, and John earlier on in this chapter, Mark 9, and there they witnessed the veil of Jesus' humanity being pulled back. And there on the mountain they saw his deity in, in radiant glory and, and in majesty. But as Peter, James, John, and Jesus came down from that mountain, they ran into, figuratively speaking, a snake on the trail. In fact, it was, we're going to notice here in a moment, a demon-possessed boy and his father, who had come to the other nine disciples there at the base of that mountain, they were seeking help and healing from Jesus' disciples. In fact, what a great study of contrast as you go through Mark chapter 9 in verses 2 through 13 previous to this passage we're going to look at today that's the Mount of Transfiguration but when we come to verse 14 in Mark 9 we see that they're off the mountain and now back down in the valley in fact I have a chart and I want you to see the contrasts the transfiguration that was on the mountain demoniac boy that's in the valley the transfiguration showed the kingdom of God on display. And now in the valley they see the kingdom of Satan at work. On the mountaintop a sun is radiantly glorified. But then at the bottom of a mountain another sun is terribly demonized. On the Mount of Transfiguration a father honors his son. He said, this is my son. Listen to him. And on the valley below a father is horrified by the demon possession of his son. There on the mountain, the disciples lack understanding. But here at the base of the mountain, we see that they lack power. One gives us a lesson about the future. Today, we'll see a lesson about faith. One is a display of divine power, and the other a display of human impotence. It's black and white. You can't get any different than these two episodes that the gospel writer in Mark has smashed together for our learning. Now, friend, you and I would love to stay on the mountaintop, wouldn't we? We'd like to stay where the glory cloud is, where the preaching's good and where the singing's powerful. But you and I know that eventually we have to leave the church. We have to go live the other six days of the week because life and ministry don't happen on the mountaintop. It happens in the valley. It happens in the, the muck and the mire of life and the daily grind. And in today's message, we're going to explore this amazing scene here in Mark 9 where we notice this father of weak faith who comes to Jesus and he begs, deliver my family from the clutches of the devil. And I want to use this not only as a challenge to our fathers, but also to encourage the church today that, hey, there is hope for the family today. Amen? I want you to notice, if you're taking notes today, number one, please see this. The fight of a demonic foe. The fight of a demonic foe. We'll pick it up verse 14. Read with me. And when they came to the disciples, that's Jesus and the other three, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. Immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. 
And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now think back with me. These disciples, these nine who had been left at the base of the mountain by Jesus, were endowed with power by Christ. They had already cast out demons previously in the reading of this gospel. But yet a stubborn, hellish henchman had set up shop in the body of this boy, and he wasn't going down without a fight. In fact, you might say in today's colloquialism, the disciples were getting their tails handed to them as if they were a JV team practicing the UNC Tar Heels. They were getting beat on every side. What a warning to you and I, church, when we attempt to do the work of God in the power and the energy of the flesh. How often do we try and have church or plan a revival or an activity or a church calendar relying only on human energy, human intellect, worldly ways, and friend, in the spiritual realm, those things always fall short. But here's the point that I want you to see today. Satan and his evil minions had declared war on this family. And at this point, before Jesus arrived on the scene, the enemy was winning. And friend, don't you have that feeling today as you look out upon our dark world, as you see the madness of our culture and the descent. We seem to be going down faster and faster. We're on the speed train, the runaway train on the highway to hell in this society. Don't you have, child of God, a little bit of inkling in that as you look upon our world and say, God, what are you doing? The enemy seems to be winning on every side. Right now, the soul of this nation, the church at large in America, and yes, friend, even your little family, your household is embroiled in a titanic fight, the likes of which many of us are not prepared for and haven't ever dealt with in our lifetimes. Why? Because it's the fight of a demonic foe. Dads, are you listening? Moms, are you listening? The devil has declared a war on your family and whether you know it or not, this ain't a playground. This is a battleground. A 2020 was a turning point. There ain't no going back. Societies change. Culture's on the fast track to hell. It's not. We're not going back anymore. I'm telling you, we're in the fight with a demonic foe. John 10.10, Jesus said this. He said, the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to steal your life. He wants to kill your joy, kill your peace, kill your testimony. He wants to tear up your marriage. He wants to destroy the next generation. It's a battle. Notice what 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour That's our enemy. Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen to this child of God. Listen to me this morning. The problem in the country isn't economic. It's not political. It's not Hollywood. It's not the culture. It's a spiritual war. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He said, this isn't a normal conflict. This isn't swords and spears. Bows and 
so on. But he says, look at this, against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Are you convinced yet, church, we are in the fight with the demonic foe? We have to see this today, or else we'll lose the next generation. We'll lose the culture. We'll stammer and stammer around powerless to try and reach our lost world for Christ if there isn't an awakening in the church house. If we don't realize the same old church routine ain't going to work anymore because we're in a battle. We're in a fight. And I don't think God's people have awoken to the fact that yet that yes, maybe COVID may have come and gone and we may have come through that. But friend, our culture is very different now than the way it was even two, three years ago. And doing church and reaching the lost and serving God is not going to get easier. Don't think we're going back to the glory days. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about this cosmic conflict. He wrote this years ago. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counter-claimed by Satan. The war on the family has been raging in this country. You could go back to the 1960s, really, when it began in full here in America, but it has intensified tenfold in this nation, especially since last year, as the cancel culture and the woke mob have gained power through the media, through the channels of education, through entertainment, and so on. And friend, I'm telling you, Satan is fighting you. He's fighting me. He's fighting the church and the family. Here's just a few of his tactics. Just earlier this month, I don't know if you saw this news bite or if you know what this is about, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, signed a bill to ban the teaching of critical race theory from being taught in Florida public schools. There's the headline. Florida bans teaching critical race theory in schools. Florida joined Arkansas, Oklahoma, Idaho, and a few other states in this move. Here's what Governor Ron DeSantis said. He said, quote, critical race theory teaches kids to hate our country and hate each other. It is state-sanctioned racism. Have you studied this? Have you looked into this devilish doctrine that if it is, gains a foothold in our nation, it will destroy the very fabric of the next group to come through? You say, what is critical race theory? It's the basic principle of the woke culture that we see in our world. It says this, that white people oppress minorities, that men oppress women, that parents oppress kids, that straights oppress gays, that Christians oppress everybody else of another faith. It divides humanity into the oppressors and the oppressed, and it teaches people to constantly be victims, to constantly look at their problems, and to blame somebody else for what's going on in their life. And Christians, God's people, we have to stand up and stand against this kind of devilish doctrine taking hold in our schools. I'm, you say, well, that's far away. That's California. That's New York. That's in one of those other liberal states. I'm telling you, I know parents who have pulled their children out of schools. Yes, even in western North Carolina, they pulled them from classrooms because this junk was being taught to our children. It's brainwashing. It's a strategy of Satan to destroy. 
every Christian should stand against this evil doctrine. It essentially defines people by their race, by their skin color. It has its roots in Marxism. You know what my Bible tells me? My Bible says that it's not the color of your skin that's the problem. No, we're made in the image of Almighty God and we're all equally fallen in sin and we can be united under one banner, under one name, under one blood, that of Jesus Christ. Man's problem is not skin, it's sin. Red, yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Why can't we teach that to our children and help them to know that there's a God who loves them and a heavenly father even if you don't have a daddy at home there's a heavenly father who sent his son to die for you boy or girl there's another way that Satan is attacking our culture and our family today it's the other battle is the LBGT agenda which seeks to redefine human sexuality and the family we talked about the Equality Act before. It's on the verge of passing in our U.S. Senate. Did you know that this would give transgender men the freedom to enter a woman's bathroom? They can just identify with whatever gender they are. I think there's like 57 different genders according to Facebook. Hey, we need to get our face back in God's book where He said there's two. It's man and it's woman. But if this passes, if this Equality Act goes through, Listen to what this also will do. It will allow minors to get state-subsidized sex reassignment surgery without parental consent. That means you and I pay for it. It will force states to recognize bizarre marriages like the thruple, a marriage of three people. See, this is what happens when you cut off the foundation from God and you say, God, we're smarter than you are. We'll kick you out of our legislative system. We'll kick you out of our schools. We'll kick you out of our churches and our families. When you do that, you end up with a Romans 1 mentality where you don't know left from right, up from down, and you're so lost, groping in the darkness, evil becomes good and good becomes evil. Somebody help me to understand what's going on in our culture today, friend. We ain't Kansas anymore. We're in a fight with a demonic foe. I feel like I'm losing. I feel like I'm losing my country. I feel like I'm losing my people. I, I feel like, God, I, I don't know how to equip my church. How, how do we deal with all of this onslaught of evil coming in our land? Listen to what USA Today ran on the headline just a few days ago. Here was the headline. More young people are dying by suicide and experts aren't sure why. You think Dr. Fields got the answer? You think the psychologist who writes the book knows what they're talking about? I'm telling you, we're lost. And our babies, our kids, our teenagers, God help us, are killing themselves because they say there's no hope for the future. Satan has got them so blinded, so addicted to drugs, so on to Instagram and social media and other things that they have no hope outside of this world. You know, in many public settings, listen to this, drag queen story hour has become the way of introducing children into the gay lifestyle. Men dressed up in all kinds of makeup and nastiness sitting there reading LBGT books to brainwash children. God help us. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And by the way, while I'm on that little soapbox, our culture needs to be reminded that the rainbow isn't about pride, it's about a promise of a faithful God who sent judgment one time and He will send it again.
But Jesus said in Matthew 18 and verse 6, he says, if anyone causes these little ones, if anyone causes the children to stumble, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. Woe to the generation, the teachers and the media and all this bunch who's leading the young astray. Oh, God, help us. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I can talk about sexual immorality. I can talk about porn addiction. I can talk about drug addiction, the violence in our schools. But I think you get the point by now. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm not trying to be a pessimist, a glass half-empty kind of guy. I'm simply pointing out that our enemy, Satan, has not taken a vacation since the days that Jesus walked this earth. In fact, I believe that the lawlessness and the demonic activity that we see in our world right now is a prophetic sign that the end times are soon approaching. We don't have time to play games anymore. We don't have time to go through just the church routine anymore. We have to get busy about fighting this war. The Lord's coming back. People are going to hell. God save our families. I'm not the only one who thinks this. In case you think I'm crazy. Listen to what David Jeremiah said. He said, quote, Satan's first attack in the Bible comes soon after Adam and Eve's marriage. Satan knows that the basic building block of civilization is the family. And so if he can destroy the sanctity of marriage and the family, then he can undermine an entire nation. How's he doing, church? He continues. He says, Satan still follows the same strategy today. He knows that as the family goes, so goes stability in the world, just as there was an uptick in demonic activity during the time of Jesus' first coming. The Bible predicts an increase in satanic influence as we draw closer to his second coming. Friend, listen to me. There's an enemy out there. He's stronger than you are. He's smarter than you are. He's slyer than you are. He's had more time to work on stealing, killing, and destroying. And we need to understand what we are up against in this world. Christians are not the majority anymore. We're in a post-Christian America. You're the minority. If you're a conservative, if you're a Bible believer, if you uh, love the name of Jesus, you are in a growing group that's getting smaller and smaller. We're outnumbered. We're on enemy territory. But thank God, thank God, we have a Savior. Greater is He that is within me than he that is in this world. You say, Pastor, where's the hope in this? Well, just keep reading. Notice, number one, the fight of a demonic foe. But I want to preach some hope to you today about the faith of a desperate father. The faith of a desperate father. Notice verse 19. Jesus is speaking here and He says to them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Even the Lord got frustrated, didn't He? How long am I to bear with you? Bring Him to me. And they brought the boy to Him, and when the Spirit saw Him, immediately convulsed the boy, He fell on the ground, rolled over, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, and Jesus said to his father, or asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. As you read through this account, friend, it's hard to say which is sadder. 
the plight of this demon-possessed boy or the powerlessness of the disciples. You see, this father, he came to those nine disciples looking for help, but all he got was more discouragement. Because the disciples lacked power, he then assumed that, well, if they're following Jesus, then maybe Jesus also lacks power. And isn't that an indictment against the church as we study this? A powerless church portrays Jesus and the gospel as weak and worldly. When we dilute the Word of God, when we change things around to suit the spirit of the age, when we present ourselves as just like the world, we're not doing Christ any favors, friends. You see, when the lost look at our lives and they come to us for the answers and they see no power, there's no transformation, there's no love and no action, they assume, well, there must not be much going on down at the church house. I don't know what to think about the God they say that they worship. They came to the, the disciples and said, can you help? They weren't able to do anything. Sometimes I feel like that as a pastor. The onslaught of evil, the problems that people come through those doors with, the things that you face day in and day out, sometimes I feel like that. God, what can I do? I'm one man of flesh and blood. You know, one reason why the church is weak and flaccid today is because we've turned away from the true gospel. We don't think that Jesus is enough. We don't think that that word is good enough. We don't think that the Spirit of God is enough to build a ministry or change a life or break down a culture or bring revival once again. So we turn to these other things just as the disciples did. They turned to their own energy. They fell back to the old ways of doing things. And when we go to man-made programs and entertainment and feel good and prosperity messages and so on, the list goes, whatever's popular, when we do that... We don't offer much to the world. Because you know what this world needs? This world needs less of me and more of Jesus. And in more of Christ. Not what I can think up or, or be clever to dream up in a church marketing or some kind of clever strategy. They, they need Jesus. It's no wonder that this father then had doubts. Don't, don't be too hard on this dad. A lifetime he'd watched his son... Deal with this problem. He said every time he goes to the fire, the Spirit tries to throw him in. Every time he's at the water, the Spirit tries to drown him. The devil's trying to kill my boy. He went through a lifetime of this, and I guess he assumed, well, I guess God doesn't care. And then when he came to the disciples, this botched exorcism, perhaps he began to think, well, maybe God doesn't have any power. But you know what? Look how gracious Jesus was. Look how patient he was to approach this man. He said, tell me, how, how long has this been going on? You know why? Because Jesus cared. Amen. He said, do you have any compassion on me? He said, tell me about your struggles. Aren't you glad today you can sit down with Jesus Christ and He'll listen to your problems? And He knows what's going on when a psychologist or when a pastor or when a counselor doesn't know. Jesus knows and you can sit down with Him and tell Him all about your issues and all about your problems. He knows, He sees, He cares. And he's patient enough to meet this man in his doubts. Lord, I, I want to believe. But I've been so beat up and cast aside my whole life. I'm having trouble believing right now. And help my unbelief. Oh, you, you know what that's like, don't you? You've been there. 
When it seems like the prayers aren't being answered. When this word is like a slab of concrete, you can't open it up and get anything out of it. When it seems like God is far from you. God, I, I'm trying. I'm going to church. I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. But Lord, help my faith. Am I preaching to anybody today? It's awful quiet in here. He said, how long has this been going on? Jesus is diagnosing this problem by going to the root cause. This is just as much for the disciples' benefit as it was for this dad. Because the disciples need to understand this demon that they were dealing with was persistent. He was dug in. He was not giving up. And how foolish the disciples were to think that yesterday's victory was going to guarantee today's victory. How foolish we are to think, church, that what we did 10 years ago to reach the culture is going to work today. Maybe we were doing it wrong all along. God help us. These men, the disciples, they failed publicly because they failed to pray privately. Jesus would later tell them, listen, the only way this comes out is by prayer. Now for this father, I think Jesus is helping this man realize something. His son was a hopeless case. And he was a prime candidate, praise God, for a miracle. Everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to be in a situation where they need one. Here you have a hopeless child, you have a faithless father, and yet, praise God, Jesus did not cast him out and say this. Thank God Jesus doesn't say things like this to us. He did not say to this man, Come back when you work up some more faith, brother. He didn't say, Go away for six months. Go through this recovery program and so on and memorize some scripture and, and then come back to me when you've got some things worked out in your life. Get yourself cleaned up a little bit. Thank God Jesus doesn't say that to you and me. Amen. There's some dads in here that may feel like this dad today. You want to help your prodigal kids, but you don't know where to start. You say, Lord, I, I didn't raise my kid this way. Lord, I don't know how to pray for them anymore. Lord, I don't know how to broach the subject because all we do is when we get there, it's awkward and we fight. Dad, you may want to be a spiritual leader, but you have doubts about your own past and your own weaknesses. You may say, Lord, I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better daddy. But I never had one growing up. I don't even know what that looks like, Lord. I don't know how to pray, Lord. i got so many questions about the Bible. You may feel exactly like this man. But the good news is, friend, listen to me. If you don't hear anything today, listen. You don't need to have everything worked out to come to Jesus. This man brought his mustard seed-sized faith to Jesus. And can you do anything? If you can, Jesus, this is all I've got. It's threadbare faith. It's weak. It's feeble. God, can you do anything with it? And I'm thankful today that God will meet us with His omnipotence. It's not about the size of my faith. It's about the object of my faith. You can have imperfect faith in a perfect Savior. It's better to have little faith in a big God than to have big faith in a little God. I had an evangelism teacher. He once likened the importance of faith by using this illustration. He said, notice this picture coming up. He said, imagine we were crossing a frozen pond on a winter's day. Would you rather have great faith in one inch of ice 
Or would you rather have a little faith and six inches of ice? You see, the amount of faith doesn't matter. It's about the object of your faith that counts. And praise God, we can begin with weak faith and a strong God. He responds to pitiful prayers and feeble faith. We can come to Him and say, Lord, my family's going to hell. Lord, there's no answers for this culture. Lord, they're poisoning our kids at school. God, I don't understand. I don't have power. I'm weak. I'm having trouble to believe in. And Jesus will say, well, what took you so long? My power is available to you. I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote about weak faith. He said this, quote, It is the trembling hand that receives God's golden gift of mercy. And a trembling hand, he wrote, may grasp the cup that bears the healing drop to the lip, but the weakness of the hand will not lessen the power of the medicine. Praise God for a balm of Gilead that heals all wounds. The power that casts out all spirits and, and evil. A one who can clean up dirty lives and pick up broken people and put them back together again. I came across the amazing story of Dan Hooten. I don't know if you've read about this man. Here he is, Dan Hooten, was a 9-11 Pentagon survivor. He was working in the Pentagon on September 11, 2001. The hijacked airplane then slammed into his office on that faithful day. Dan was thrown 20 feet and his leg was pinned under rubble. Fires broke out all around him. Smoke choked his lungs. And in that desperate moment, he only had strength enough to utter out one prayer. Lord, show me a way out. Dan Hooten was able to free his leg. He said he crawled on the ground. He felt himself losing consciousness. He said the room was like an oven. I thought I was going to die right then and there. He said, as I climbed over some rubble, I saw a hand stretching out to me. He reached for the hand and he said, I don't remember anything next. The next thing that happened was I woke outside on the helicopter pad. Dan Hooten, listen to this, never learned who that saving hand belonged to. Lord, show me a way out. But this man of faith, he says his survival that day was credited to God and a simple pocket prayer that he cried out, God, show me a way. I'm telling you, that's feeble faith. That's weak faith. And I'm thankful that there is a hand reaching down from heaven and he can reach down further than you can reach up and he can pull you up out of that pit that you are in today. No matter how weak, how broken, or how hopeless your situation is, he's reaching down to where you are. His hand is not too short that he cannot save. I'm talking about an on-time God. I'm talking about a, a, a saving God, a powerful God, a God who can do what man can't in his own power and intellect. I'm talking about a redeeming God who pulls us from the muck and the mire. Maybe that's all you can pray today. That's all the strength that you have in your bones. Lord, show me a way out. Thank God that's a prayer that He'll hear. Maybe all you can, you can muster today is, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. I'm telling you, faith is believing God's ability in your disability. We see, number one, the fight of a demonic foe. 
the faith of a desperate father. And then number three, as I close today, please notice with this, the freedom of a delivering friend. The freedom of a delivering friend. Notice what verse 25 says. Oh, this is so good. The Bible says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. How's that for authority? And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. If you read in the Gospel of Luke, it says that he gave him back to his father. What a beautiful picture. When he had entered the house with the disciples, they asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. Mark mentioned something very interesting in his details here. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but let me point it out to you. He says that he rebukes the demon, and Jesus refers to him in this passage as deaf and dumb spirit. Do you see that? One of the maladies that this demon caused was that he robbed this boy of his speaking ability and his hearing ability. Now, this is very interesting because according to the Jewish understanding of demons of Jesus' day, they would have thought this is a kind of evil spirit that would have been impossible to cast out. You know why? Because the Jews believe that in order to cast out an evil spirit, in order to have authority over a demon, you had to know its name. And if the boy can't speak, then the demon could never tell his name and he could never be cast out. And yet Jesus comes strolling up on the scene. He's not even there two or three minutes. He's diagnosed the problem. He's cast the evil spirit out. He's picked the boy up. He's handed him to his dad and said, Now your family is whole again. Jesus is able to drive out this demon as easy as we might scat a cat. Dads, let me, let me point this out to you. Dads, are you paying attention? Listen to me. There's some battles that's too big for you, Dad. There's some fights that you can't get worked out by bringing home a better paycheck. There's some things, some sins that's got such a hold on your family, they won't come out any other way unless you pray them out. There's some battles you can't fight, Father. And if you and I are going to see our family saved, if we're going to try and turn this nation back again, we have to avail ourselves to the power of Jesus Christ again. You see, I'm telling you, there's only one who can bring this nation back, who can save our babies and our grandchildren. And it's not in the schools, it's not in the White House, it's not in Hollywood, it's in Jesus Christ alone. Dads, if we teach our kids to keep their eye on the ball and not their eyes on Jesus and they go to hell, we failed. If we instruct our children to go to a good college and they don't get into heaven, we failed. And yet, Jesus acted on behalf of this father's faith, didn't He? It wasn't the faith of the boy that activated the healing. It was the faith of the dad. Isn't that interesting? Dad's the greatest thing we can do is get our children and show them we have a trusting faith in Jesus. It might be weak at times. It might be feeble. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's the faith of the Father. Listen to me. 
It's the faith of the Father that changed the whole dynamic and the future for His Son because there's hope for the family. And when Dad gets his heart right, the rest of the family has a domino effect on them. And they say, oh my goodness, Dad believes it's real to Father. I'm going to follow after Him because if it means something to Him, it means something to me. Oh God. Let me finish with this story. Y'all never going to let me have a couple weeks off again. One of my mission trips, one of the last ones I went to down in Honduras, I went out one evening with a missionary, just me and him. We pulled up to this little mud hut out in the middle of nowhere. Poor family, cardboard, plastic, mud, and whatever kind of trash they could find is what held their home together missionary told me the story he said I'm going in here to pray he said here's the situation he said there's a teenage girl in here who a couple months ago went to visit a local witch doctor she asked the witch doctor to cast a spell on somebody that she was having disagreement with he said in the midst of all that paganism and all that lostness he said that little girl got possessed by a demon he said I'm going in here to pray that Jesus would cast out the demon inside this girl he said you can come if you want but he said you don't know the family in fact I'd rather you just stand outside right here and pray with me he went into that house I stood on the outside I was right there at the door I'm telling you you ain't never heard praying like that when Satan's got a hold of your children when he's destroying your family you're going to take your prayer life up a different level aren't you that old family had gathered around that little girl they put arms on her Hands on her, they started praying. I couldn't understand a word of it. It was all in Spanish. Every once in a while, I'd, I'd pick out a word, Jesus. I'd pick out Holy Spirit. I'd pick out words that I knew, and I'd say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do that, Lord. Agreeing with them in the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit can translate from Spanish to English. Amen? We're standing in there, and there was just a holy roar on the, on the outside of that house. I mean, a holy roar coming as they were praying for victory in that little girl's life. And then all of a sudden, it's like all the wind was taken out. It got dead silent. And all I could hear was the mama inside, sniffling, crying. And then all of a sudden, you know one word that translates from Spanish to English? Hallelujah! I heard hallelujahs and shouts and gloria Dios, praise God, coming from that home. And the missionary emerged. He was drenched in sweat. As we pulled out of that driveway, that little girl stood in, the, in that door and she had a big old smile on her face. You know what happened? She got freedom that day. She got freedom under the authority and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Friend, I witnessed it. I saw it. I felt it. The Holy Spirit goosebumps. I still remember them to this day. I'm telling you, there's hope for the family. The world is going its way, but Jesus is still restoring fathers and sons and daughters. He can change kids. He can transform the prodigal son and daughter. He can pick them up, clean them up, cast aside the chain, and give them back to us and say, it's better now than he ever was before. I'm telling you, God, transform our families. Save our children. 
help our grandchildren. Satan, you can't have our schools. You can't have our churches. You can't have my children and my family. I'm praying against you. I'm praying in the victorious name of Jesus Christ. God help us as a church to get hold of this and understand the fight that we're in. But oh, there's a victory for the child of God. The Bible says you're more than a conqueror through Him. I don't know if you believe it this morning, church. But I've witnessed the darkness of the enemy and I've witnessed the strength of our Savior. And if Jesus could do that for that little family, Mark 9, if Jesus could do that in the middle of nowhere in Honduras, what can He do for your family and your children and your grandchildren? You see, I think about that little boy. The Bible said he was deaf and he was mute. I mean, he never heard. From childhood, he never heard. He'd never been able to speak. And yet, listen to me. <laughs> when Jesus restored him, what do you think the verse, first voice that he heard was? It was the voice of the Son of God coming through that ear canal and into the mind of that child for the first time. He didn't hear his daddy's voice. didn't hear his mama's voice. He heard the voice of Jesus Christ. You're free now. And then he loosened up that tongue of that little boy. I don't know what the first thing he said was, but I have a mind that maybe he said, Thank you, Jesus. You see, Satan wanted to kill him all of his life, but God had a higher purpose that this boy would speak again and that God was going to use the tongue and the story of that little boy to tell his story all around that village. Let me tell you who I was. Let me tell you how lost I was, how hopeless my daddy was. But God, but Jesus stepped into my situation. Hey, some of you are just like that. You're just like that little boy. You should be dead today. Five or six times in your past, you can think back of a time when the devil tried to kill you in a car wreck or in a drug situation or in a bad relationship. Satan tried to kill you, but I'm telling you, there's a powerful God. There's a sovereign God who's got authority over your life. And if you're saved today, it's because he wants to put, uh, loosen up that tongue so that you can go out and tell the story of your life, your freedom, your redemption, your deliverance, and say, I'm telling you, I I was hopeless. I was broken. I didn't have any answers. My mom and daddy didn't know how to pray for me anymore. My preacher even gave up on me. But I'm telling you, Jesus changed everything in my life. That's the Savior that we serve. Oh my God, help us today. Musicians, will you come? Can we have a time of altar and a time of invitation today? I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what's going on in your home. But I know there's one problem solver. I know there's a Jesus who can.